And so one day if they say, oh, yeah, you look so pretty, the the next day when they say <laughs> fat and old, which is, you know, the classic, <laughs> let's just say what it is. That's what, you know, that's the tools they reach for with women. You're fat and old. Um, maybe your boobs are droopy. They might tell me that. Wrinkly, yeah. Although mine aren't. Mine, to be fair, they're pert. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Real Work Podcast with me, Fleur Emery. Unedited conversations with women who are changing up the world of work. Extraordinary women who are founders, thought leaders or trailblazers. Here to inspire and inform your idea of what's possible for you. Hi, welcome to episode around six or seven. We're not quite sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'll have to do a fact check. We've got it written down somewhere, but we'll yeah, we'll have to do a little rummage to find out what what episode it is. I think around six or seven. Hello, producer Buck is here. Just to clarify, this is in fact episode nine. Just in case you're keeping track, back to the podcast. This week's guest is Clemmy Telford, who has got masses of followers on Instagram and has a really patched together career of um, blogging. She's written a book. She's had a best selling, a best, what do you call it? Not best selling podcast, like a, a war, is it, you know, top rated, yeah, top rated, top rated big hitting. Yeah, she has. She's masses and masses, way more listeners than us. So many more. Do we know how many listeners we've got yet? Do we want to be saying that at the start of our podcast is a question I'd like to yeah, ask. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Good point well made. <laughs> Getting back to Clemmy Telford and her massively successful podcast. What the thread that brings it all together is that Clemmy likes to have difficult conversations, awkward conversations and sort of unpack things. And um, we do a bit of unpacking today, actually, with her. We sort of rummage around the murky depths of Instagram and end up in a in a good place, I think. I really enjoyed talking to her. And um, let us know if you did. Rate and review, etc. Well, that's fine. And when it goes off, it'll just go, it'll probably just go off... Um, your power will run out mid-sentence when you're saying something Profound. really meaningful and deep. Yeah, pretty much. I um, was going to ask you about your career, Clemmy. Oh, yeah. Are you ready for that? Yeah, let me <laughs> let me about turn because for <laughs> listeners, I'm really preoccupied. After many years, I've, just, I've decided to buy Crocs and having hated them, I now want them immediately and Amazon have lost them and I'm livid about it. So that is what's actually occupied my mind. There's some lucky person has been delivered your Crocs yeah. and is just um, looking down at them happily going, free shoes, free Depending shoes. Depending on what age they are, they'll be looking down at them happily or unhappily. Green, hot pink Crocs. Didn't even know they wanted them. They'll say, oh, I love the fact that they're so light. I love the way that my feet can splay <laughs> in, inside their cavernous interior. No, they'll only use them for gardening around the house and then, then before you know it, they're part of your day-to-day wardrobe. That's what happens. <laughs> Then you've got them with socks on, then you've got them on the school run, and then oh, that's it. Then it's happening. So, um, a career. Yeah, should I tell you what's really funny? So, because Clemmy's career started in advertising, didn't it? Right? Mm-hmm. And um, on your LinkedIn, <laughs> on your LinkedIn, you've written, 
Oh no! I'm gonna, God, this is awful. Yeah, no, it's fine. So, yeah, this is like a, one of those kind of Anton Deck style things. You've written your career began by being hired by Trevor Beatty, right? Yeah. So the way it's put is like everyone in the world should know who Trevor Beatty is. So it must mean, Buckers, don't you think when you read that that he's like a real? He's a big. He's the grand fromage of advertising. He's a cheese. Yeah. He's like the Simon Cowell of the advertising. World. I haven't. I don't but know course, who he is. Should I? No, nor did I, okay. nor did I, because we're not from advertising. We're not in that whole world. So I thought, oh, shit, I've got like 10 minutes to go before the podcast. I need to, you know, I need to sound like I'm on my game. So I looked up Trevor Beatty. And you know what's so funny? He is so famous. He doesn't need to be on LinkedIn, but some other Trevor Beatties were. And I thought, this is who you're talking about. So let's find out if this is the first person who hired you in your career. Is it Trevor Beatty, president of the Canadian Flight Attendants Union? <laughs> this is brilliant. Were, were you a flight attendant I've in never Canada? Been a flight attendant. Be a nice job though. Yeah, like, if you're going to go on one, whether other... it would like, there's a part of me. Canadian that really Airlines though, maple syrup, nice outfit. I like Canadian. Fresh air. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be a flight attendant, I mean, it'd be a good one to go. Yeah. It wasn't him. Was it Trevor Beatty, the research program clinical manager for TB vaccines? Sexy. Interested in tuberculosis vaccinations? Well, I mean, I'm actually currently freaking out because I've had the AstraZeneca and it's and therefore might have yeah done myself a mischief long term. But no, I'm not. <laughs> not vaccines aren't my bag. Okay, no. so it wasn't I'm him. I'm in pro okay. vaccine. I'm pro vaccine. Obviously, FYI. <laughs> Was it Trevor Beatty, the professional aquarium hobbyist and streamkeeper? <laughs> streamkeeper. I mean, that's a nice job, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Was it st- stream? Street? What you keep? Streamkeeper. As an old like stream, not as in the internet stream, yeah. but in a little no, like little rivers, streams. Nice. Was it him? It's not him, but that sounds like a nice job. <laughs> or was it Trevor Beatty? Boss. It just says boss. Wow. On his LinkedIn. That more, That's more it. likely to be him. So for a little <laughs> context, he was he wrote um it's very dated now actually, but Hello Boys, the famous Wonderbra campaign and the FC UK campaign. So if you were in advertising, once upon a time he was the bee's knees. And what job did you do for him? I was he hired me as a junior creative in a team. So that's how it works in advertising. If you're a creative, you have a copywriter and an art director. And we went to college. We went, I went to uni. Then I went to a, a college to study advertising. And you go around with a portfolio. And in that, in those days, it was a physical big thing. And people critique your work. And then eventually you get placements, which we did for 18 months, going around different agencies, learning the, learning the trade. And then, yeah, eventually you get a job as a creative team. It sounds fun. It's, I mean... It, it's an amazing job, uh, especially back then before, like it was a days when advertising was kind of a cool thing, you know, the Levi's campaigns and Tango and PlayStation. And yeah, we were writing TV ads, radio ads, going on shoots. There was a phase where I used to go on like a foreign shoot. We managed to get on the Thompson Holidays account. So annually we'd go and shoot. Despite the fact, despite that you, the fact that you are a Canadian air, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and tending streams, but so we did a lot of. I did a lot of 
shooting abroad in my early career. It was it wasn't quite the eighties, but it was pretty cool. And um, then social media wasn't around then. No, like. We used to, like we, we did guerrilla marketing, which was like doing things on beer mats, and then it went to like the flash mob phase. You remember yeah. when people used to like dance yeah. in train stations? That felt radical. And then actually, we wrote a, what would have been a social campaign just as Facebook started, which was we went around America with a tea van, a Yorkshire tea van, giving out tea to Brits over there, and we kind of tried to get them to tell us where to go via Facebook, but it was kind of ahead of its time but it would be an amazing campaign to do now that sounds um that sounds a lot of fun and so that makes you an early adopter of social media we're going to dismantle the social media thing in a minute but actually it's something that you you didn't jump on the bandwagon you were you you made the bandwagon you were at the you you were on board early on it's so funny because actually as i started my Instagram stuff, when I started Mother of All This, my blog, which is about to be, I did it on my second maternity leave, is five years old, actually, in March. I remember saying to people, oh, you know, blogs are done. No one, it's so over. No one needs to do another one. And then I kind of did one. And actually, blogs, I know, isn't like super digital, but people keep talking about them being over. But I think that there's always going to be a place for like more long form writing. Um so, yeah, I always have felt like I wasn't down with the kids, but maybe I was a little bit more than I thought. Well, you certainly sort of got there first. And there there is a kind of credibility attached to, like, if you get some a substantial audience, then you have credibility, don't you? And people, if it's, an, it's, if it's a proper engaged audience, then it, it gets easier as you grow. So if you got a lot of people on board early on, yeah, so there was a great time on Instagram because I was I was definitely early in in kind of my niche on Instagram, and there was a time when Instagram was growing and I was growing. I was getting at one point they was getting like a thousand followers a day. It was insane. It was just like because it, yeah, because there was no one else to follow. So if you if you got into the kind of motherhood realm, then I guess you came across me and my peers. But you said it gets easier as you get big get bigger i don't think that's no. true what, in what way? um just in terms of so in in real work there's a lot of women who are using instagram as a business tool to let people know about their freelancing work or something like that and certainly the first a thousand followers like are the hardest to win win over and then after that i I've, they feel like um it's it speeds up the acquisition of audience the reach if you like speeds up but i would really argue for i'm trying to think i, I mean I, i'm very grateful for the space that i have on the internet but there's a real joy in the smaller stages when you really know people when in in a very bold like rudimentary rudimentary sense like as you get bigger your audience get less like you so when I first started my audience was southeast London mums and then they were London mums and then they were and I could I could kind of guess who they were and I knew how to talk to them and and now as like my numbers are bigger and I don't grow anymore incidentally I think I probably got 2,000 new followers in the last year um yeah you you have a, a I can't be sure of exactly who I'm talking to, which A, changes the way I speak and B, changes the engagement. 
when you came on, did you come on with a business goal? No, you just came on because Instagram's interesting and you're having a look around and it's like, what does this button do? What does that, you know, it was that feeling, right? Yeah. So um, I came on Instagram to save myself. I'd had two kids very, very quickly. Like there were under, under two years between them. I'd completely lost myself in motherhood like in every sense, you know, my finances, my friends, my body, my relationship. Um, and yeah, the first maternity leave was a write-off. And then because I was back on maternity leave very quickly, I kind of came up for air a bit and I was like, okay, what is this? I started very early with being very honest on Instagram and just found people like me. So that no, there was never a business objective. It to begin with it was it was to save me to find like-minded people which I did and all the people who are now kind of known were the people I met and I hung out with and went for coffee on maternity leave with but toward by the time I got 500 followers I got my first influencer brief now it was an absolute mirror of what I was getting at work you know it's from the same agencies it was the same proposition brand audience except for I could answer it, just me to the client. There was, at that point, there was no rounds of feedback. It's like, it was a dream from a, for a, from a creative director point of view. I was like, I cannot believe I get to do this. And there was loads of hard stops because it's my platform. I could say, no, I won't put the logo there. I won't do this, I won't do that. So I, I literally couldn't believe my luck that I was doing what I was doing in my paid job, in my career job. Yeah, but with loads more control. So then I was like, okay, this is interesting. But I then went back to work after that for another couple of years and even got a new job at Facebook. So I didn't then make the transition to this being my full-time career for I think another two years after that. It's so interesting how you describe that because I've done, um, with my little experiment on um, Instagram, I've been on for about 80 months and I sort of went from like zero to fifth gear really quickly and made a few sort of mistakes along the way. I've done one influencer type like paid promotion thing. And it's so interesting because when they sent the stuff through, I've never done anything like that before. So it took quite a lot of brain space working out what it was, you know, paying someone to tell me how the system works, how the process works back and forwards. Like it, so yeah, I can really understand how, if that was your world, switch, switching those things on, that must have just felt like an absolute gift. And also, the influence—it it wasn't a thing. Like influencer marketing wasn't a thing. So I had, we had the joy of we were learning it with the brands and with the with the clients. You know, it was it was so free reign back then, and and not always for in a good way, actually. You know, um, but yeah, the market has changed significantly. Um, yeah, but I feel very grateful. I often think, and especially now the market's matured and there's lots more back and forth with clients and you really have to nail into a brief a lot more. I always wonder if people hadn't come from a marketing background, how, they how you begin to, how you begin to do that. And, and you have to be really savvy. You know, I get, I turn down more than I say yes to by, by so much. I'm, I'm a real believer of don't look at the fee, look at the brief if trust your gut and then and of course sometimes I've got to pay the bills I'm the only earner in my family but uh, yeah if, if anything in my instincts goes mm, then then I, I pass on it but it, I can see how people could lose their heads very quickly take the money and sell some awful Do you stuff. know what brings to mind 
What springs to mind, Buckers, is <laughs> you just advertising something completely crazy. <laughs> Doing a, Buckers has got an amazing talent for reels. Have you? Good on you. I can't do so. This. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, my my kind of um, creative development ground to a standstill because I just wasn't free enough. And Buckers is a really good singer and has a really great sense of comedy. So that plus. Um, a, a hugely lucrative offer from an inappropriate product. I mean, that could just be comedy gold, couldn't it? <laughs> what would be? What would you have to be paid? How much would you have to be paid to advertise? What should we think of? Crocs. Maybe like. Maybe like eight hundred pounds. Plus VAT. Is that for um, one grid post? Always story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Would you be expecting free Crocs? I mean, I I think you'd find your your fee would slip down once you put your foot in a Croc. You'd think if they were limited edition J Lo Crocs. I've been so anti this girls, but you wait till by the end of the summer, everyone will be there. It's so funny. It raises such an interesting point, though. Also, because it raises a really interesting point that the rest of the world don't know how much this stuff is worth. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea what would be like a standard industry price. Because it's such a new industry. So it's kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, it's com- it's completely... Have you, have you seen that account called um, Influencer Pay Gap? Yeah, yeah, so there's brilliant. this account, Buck, is it? Um, is, it, is it based in the US? I think it I is. Feel yeah. like it is. Um, an Instagram account where people DM in um, deals they've cut. So they'll say, you know, I'm a, um, I'm a podcast producer and I recently got approached by Crocs and I got a free pair of limited edition jewel encrusted Beyonce Crocs and 400 pounds. And then someone writes in and they say, I did the same campaign and I'm um, Chinese and I got paid less. And what they've exposed is there's this huge, what's really interesting is that women get paid a load more than men in this industry. Mm. And that there's a massive racial divide where mm. women of color are getting paid a lot less. It's a really fascinating conversation. It's, it's interesting how it's um, it shows how the world that you're working in, though, changes so fast and the the democratic aspect the fact that anyone can be heard and anyone can have a voice can both work in your favor and against you so it can either you know sweep you along like when you described you know just the women who were like me you know found me and we found each other and they had this great time you know at the beginning of when you started doing that so that's when the democratic aspect can just drive you forward but then also, you know, it can raise issues like that, you know, which which make the thing more complicated. Just going back to when you're talking about the world of advertising, there are some similarities because you describe quite an innocent time when sort of going off and shooting a tango commercial was so much great fun and the budgets were huge and you had creative freedom, blah, blah, blah. Wowie, marvellous. And now... You, you get all the pushback, don't you? You shouldn't be encouraging kids to drink tango. It's over 16% sugar, blah, blah, blah. There's a different, there's a raised consciousness which makes that situation more complicated. And I feel like the same thing has happened on social media. 
that you were there in that innocent time before all these issues were raised. And now there's a lot of kind of complicated nuance that everyone's raising. But I mean, to be perfectly honest, I don't have a problem broadly in both industries. The best part of my job in both situations is being creative. And it's a class of things like I can, I can we say I've got an idea for a TV ad, like good advertising and in both things it should be a super creative thing. It, you know, it should be hard work. It shouldn't be something that you can churn out where you can just flog fizzy drinks to kids. I mean, TikTok is a great example of the of people's capacity to make amazing, creative, fun things. And yeah, I want to see that 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 bar raised across everything. And yeah, as this industry, as the influencer industry matures, I think it's good. Like, I, In this industry, it's interesting that you're saying that because we had it on a real workshop this morning when um, we all get together and talk. We were talking about that exact same issue with regard to online coaching. Um, in that the social media, the conversations on social media have enabled um, a kind of widespread scrutiny of that industry. You know, there's a lot of um, questioning of it, which is fine, but if your work holds up to scrutiny, because mm -hmm. I want to be scrutinized, you know, I want, mm -hmm. I want to have feedback. And I, if I'm found at fault, I want to know that uncomfortable as it is, you know, with my work, you know, um, of um, giving business support to women, I want to know that it's working. And if it's not, I want to know that too. So maybe the longevity of your career is to do with, you know, you having that attitude of like being able to embrace those changes and be part of listening. Yeah. And also, look, it, it, it depends how you um, frame this. I believe that I could be significantly bigger on Instagram if I made some choices, if I gave all of myself to it, if I put my kids on there, if I talked to it all the time. You know, I've just um, at last completed on a house, which I posted about last night and got an amazing traction. And people are like, start a house account, start a house account. Now I'm sitting here going, okay, I could start a house account. This could actually be a whole different revenue stream. But then everybody, every man and his dog has seen every corner of my family's home. And yes, I'm going to share stuff, but I'm not going to document my, my home renovation bit by bit because I want this to be my career. This isn't my life. And, and that has been the biggest shift that I've made. You know, I'm, I'm five years into it and it is my job. There are times when I come off it and I don't give people things. I don't tell people the ins and outs of all of what I'm doing because that's the difference between... Yeah, having your life on the internet and having your career be on the internet. And that is a, a big shift. I, I try and position myself as a broadcaster and, and, and away from influence. I hate the word influencer. And, and I, just because it, it underestimates the body of work that if you're trying to provide useful, entertaining, inspiring, all of those words kind of content, it is a job. Like, you know, it takes so much work. And, and um, so the idea that I saw, uh, you know, that influence is in the wild, that this is what I do. I don't want it to be compared to standing in front of a pretty blossom tree in, in Notting Hill. And good on those people who do very editorial, beautiful stuff because that's a job in itself. But 
I'm trying to behave, yeah, more like a broadcaster. There we go. I went on a bit of a run there. Well, it's, it's, it's about what you're talking about, which is a u- universal, um, is intentionality, like being intentional, thinking that stuff through. It's some of the same, you know, I, I've been doing it with social media because I love social media. I'm, I'm a sociable person. I love the conversation. You know, I'm a Gemini. It's like having multiple conversations, like playing 10 yeah playing 10 tables of ping pong at the same time all day i mean great but i have to make have to have to be mindful about it and make really clear boundaries and the conclusion that i've come to is exactly the same as yours which is what is my business and what is my life so say for example you know i painted my front front door farrenball pink and i had a really gorgeous wreath on it from the real flower company a business that i adore they do these scented wreaths with herbs in i've got a vintage knocker oh my god i can't you know i want to kiss my front door right i just gorgeous and i'm sure and i'd like everyone ten thousand followers whatever to chime in that my door dressing is excellent. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, it would be a really, it would, that, would, that would make me feel good. And um, I don't because it's the front door to my home. It's also the front door to my child's home. Yeah. And she's five. She doesn't know who the 10,000 people are. So mm-hmm. it costs her a modicum of her privacy yeah. in order for me to get praise from people I don't know for my choice in wreath. It doesn't make sense. There's the value exchange doesn't yeah. make sense. And it's like always coming back to that, isn't it? But yeah. You have to check that because it's really, really easy to do. It, you know, it's really easy to do. And also I've just really, as, as I uh, turn 40 next year, like why really checking like this external validation thing, I really don't want my existence to be confirmed, you know, to be yeah i don't need external validation or i want to move away from external validation which is is what the internet is i want to have important conversations i love connecting with people but i don't need people to tell me that my outfit's great or not tell me that my outfit's great that's because you, the the point you raise is that if if you accept strangers positive opinions as true the flip side of that is that the ones who tell you negative things must also be be, heard. be true. Like if you're listening, if you're letting one, there's you can't let mm-hmm. one in without the other. And so one day if they say, oh, yeah, you look so pretty, the, the next day when they say <laughs> fat and old, which is, you know, the classic, <laughs> let's just say what it is. That's what, you know, that's the tools they reach for with women. You're fat and old. Um, maybe your boobs are droopy. They might tell me that. Frankly, yeah. Although mine aren't, mine, to be fair, they're pert but um yeah fat and old i've been um when i was in the daily mail once i got like 600 people telling me i was fat and old and it is yeah it's it was quite strange it's a discombobulating mm-hmm. experience having like a wave of negative feedback and so yeah it's a healthier choice to tune out from mm-hmm. that and just to say okay come coming back to our business goals and seeing it as a as a tool mm-hmm. in instead of a friend yeah exactly exactly and that's not to say i haven't found friends through there yeah but instagram is not a real and you know what so after i left advertising i went to i worked for facebook and actually was working specifically on instagram for a year um it was as stories launched so i was i was helping brands learn how to use stories which is like oh my word the launch of stories now it's just like part of our life but um 
again, that gave me a real chance to realize what the inner workings were. This is this is a piece of technology. And again, when I see those things about the algorithm and they and Instagram are doing that, as a company, whatever you think, to work for Facebook Inc. is incredible. They look after their employees in a way and the culture and everything that they stand for internally, I, I doubt you'd find many better places to work. Um, and so when people think there's this evil thing that that is trying to screw small businesses or screw any of us, it's not. It's, it's, an, it's a computer. There's no one pressing buttons. And I think it's quite weird then to have this world where people feel like Instagram, that little icon is an app compared to working for the internal bit where it's, it's, a, it's a piece of technology. That's tr- that's true, and it sounds um, it sounds like a really exciting place to work. But also the 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 company structure is such that the board of directors have an obligation yeah. to increase the share value yeah. for shareholders, yeah. and that that is prioritised. Unless unless you're a B Corp or you've made certain um, promises prior to getting investment. That come that profit comes ahead of yeah. mental health of users and all those yeah. kind of things, which are which which I'm not saying that Facebook doesn't care about them, but you know they're nice they're nice to have. I agree. And the the bottom line, I mean, and I'm talking, you know, and I I like social media, so I'm not um down with the conspiracy stuff, but I think that the nature of the beast, if we we have to be honest, that just like with my door wreath, if I post a photograph of that door wreath. Um, that has some value to Facebook that I'm inputting. Mm-hmm. I am the consumable thing that is being mm-hmm. traded by the corporation. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm not paying, <laughs> I'm the product. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, I watched obviously watched Social Dilemma. It's not new. It wasn't new news to me, and that wasn't because I yeah. worked there. It's because I worked in advertising. Like, this is, you know, it's a real uncomfortable reality, but. I mean, this is a massive swerve, um, but obviously neither you or I um, drink, Fleur. You, you, it's about being responsible for the way you, you go agreed, about in the world. Agreed. Instagram is addictive. I know when my mental health is patchy, I know I go into a scroll hole. But I don't blame Facebook Inc. for that. I blame me being an adult and learning to put my phone down. And yes, of course, they have a responsibility. But... We've just got in this culture where we look to blame someone else and to save us, and the the only people who can save us is ourselves. You know, I and I agree. I mean, I we had this conversation, a little part of this conversation before, and it's um, I really I really agree that when issues like this are raised over problematic aspects of digital technology, the the pushback, which is someone needs to stop Facebook. They need to be stopped. They need to be controlled. You know, I'm I'm not really sort of, yeah, that's not the answer either. More rules isn't always the answer. Like curiosity about what is it about this that why do I need this so much? Why, What am I opting into when I'm spending time on this? When I live in a street, I'm very, I live in a a terrace, a Victorian terrace, which in my opinion in the pandemic in the UK is pretty much the best place to be because you have 10 neighbours who know your name and can see your front door. So you've, like, you're safe and you're sort of overlooked. But I've still got my own front door, the privacy of that and a little garden. You know, in terms of, I just feel like that's an absolutely great spot. And there's, 
there's evidence to suggest that the more time we spend on social media, the less time we spend engaging in relations with our neighbours or things like that. So there's a clear balance and taking responsibility for those mm-hmm. things and invest and, and is to, to me like an understanding that proliferating understanding of that is more of a solution to me like believing in human beings as 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 people is more of a solution to me than stop that bad company because yeah. they're bad and we're good yeah. it's not as you say it's just it's just a, a talk. because people used to say that about cars right motor cars it. when they were MPD. Take those dangerous cars off the road. We're all going to die. Yeah, and I mean, I've, for the, for my book and actually for previous episodes of the podcast, I've done a bit about like kids and um, their, their, you know, how they use digital. And everyone always wants an answer of, oh, you're, you know, a five year old should have this amount of screen time and this amount. Yeah, and, we don't have that in our and house. Yeah. All you have to say is not about how much you're using; it's about what you're opting out of. You know, why can't you have a conversation at the dinner table? Why? You know, and and this is not me being a saint. My kids are on screens a lot, but that that is always the question, and it, it's the same with our own use of the internet. What is? I am very aware. I have occasions when I completely come off social media because I need to break that reflex where you're just like, what? Why can't I sit and focus on my work? Why? If I'm in a car with my husband, do I not want to talk to him? And um, that's that's the questions you have to ask yourself. And it's the same with alcohol. It's the same for me with sugar. And, yeah, agreed. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm well aware of my own very very addictive habits, and and also I'm trying my best to to curtail them or be uh, yeah awareness is all because what we're de- what we're describing is numbing yeah. out, and there's loads of ways you can do it. So for on, on when. We've got um, a new real worker, for example, who has a social media account, account and she's an art expert on women artists. And she has this incredible account when she gives like one minute biographies of women that I've never heard of all over the world who have made incredible strides in the world of art. That's not numbing out. I mean, that's just absolute yeah. gold. And and. So I differentiate yeah. that between if I'm just looking at someone who I don't know very well, who, you know, is married to a guy who I used to fancy when I was 20. It's just completely, you know, it's completely different. You feel it in your body. You, you do you not. Feel it yeah, in your yeah, body. Feel, exactly. And of course, it's, and so paying attention to yeah, that. Yeah, and it's the same with YouTube. Like my kids are real fans of um, doing drawing, follow, watching drawing videos on um youtube and drawing along so that's fine you know that's a good thing but it's when they've gone down, they're watching youtube and i can see it in their behavior and we can i can see it in myself i it's when i'm yeah if i'm mindfully going on engaging with people learning something even being inspired it's fine to go and just look or love like some of those buckers who's the name of that guy that we look at who we love the one who does um the christopher hall the, he does the skits of yeah. like the millennial trapped in lockdown yeah. in the parents house he's so funny and creative isn't he he's just absolutely guaranteed so entertainment you know it doesn't i'm not being worthy i'm not saying oh you shouldn't be there unless you're learning no. something but like be entertained or big all of that stuff it's interesting with this in it, I feel like one of the reasons you've kind of held on to yourself in all of this is that you weren't just doing um, um, pay partnerships. You know, your blog had, a, you know, it's really grown. Yeah. And the concept of it, you know, the concept of um, 
taking people who've had all different life experiences and then them breaking it down. It stayed so fresh, hasn't it? Oh. It was such a substantial piece of work. Yeah, it's it's like it's a th- it's a thing beyond me though. And and I mean, you you've had an experience of it. What unless you've written a list for it, you wouldn't know that yeah. you then get this like you get yeah. wrapped up in a little. Yeah thing of people i had so much feedback from yeah. on um buckers on the on the blog you you sort of share sort of what what it's like it's like what it's That's like to kind of thing yeah and um mine was about like solo parenting and what what that was like and what i thought it'd be like and what it turned out to be like and i had so many lovely messages and so much great feedback it's like you've really built something that people love and draw a lot from in the background, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, and, and a... do you know what? And that I draw a lot from. I, it started as me mm. going through that experience. You know, I always think, yeah, it's genuine. I love it, and it, and yeah, it takes an awful lot of work, but it, it it's I'm. I love you talk about long form but that's like 2000 yeah, words exactly. that's that's quite a lot for people to write yeah it is and i don't you know i don't underestimate that but what yeah. people get out of it they go deep yeah and it, it's written in the writing in bullet points which was again for me i actually there was a precursor to mother of all lists called lists on the northern line in my late 20s i suddenly from nowhere got terrible terrible anxiety i mean i now know oh. but it's because i was partying too hard but um, I, in order to travel from Ballum to Leicester Square, which is where I was working on the Northern Line, I had to write myself a list to try and keep my brain off being on the tube and not having a panic attack. So I used to write a, a list every day. And so it's funny that that then became the thing that saved me in motherhood. I used to write, write lists to try and understand what the hell had happened. So I'd write a list about work or I'd write a list about my friendships and and so that bullet point kind of form which is a bit like yeah journaling I suppose was a, my way of getting everything out of my head and and saving myself and and then everybody has little experiences of that and it, yeah it's amazing and it's transformed and it's transformed recently where you've got the the blog sort of went hand um the podcast excuse me went hand in hand with that but you've changed direction with the podcast recently. It's being born again like a phoenix. Tell us about that. Yeah, it has. I'm looking at my battery. I've got 7%, but this is all right. Well, um, the podcast is is a good piece of business learning. So um, I had a, a production company come to me and said, you should do a podcast, which is very nice of them. And then I came up with like the concept of honestly um, and which was, yeah, honest conversations about tricky stuff. And then we spent two years making it but the the financial structure of it was that I didn't do very I didn't do all that well out of it and b I didn't own it and it was getting bigger and bigger and I was just like but this isn't mine and so eventually last year just couldn't ignore that niggly voice anymore and and pulled pulled it and have relaunched it to coincide with my book which is um but why and and you know what it it's the same stuff that I think run through all the work that I do, which is going deep on tricky stuff and, and hearing people's experiences and trying to learn from them. And so, yeah, now, now, but why is mine, but I had to go back to naught listens, no subscribers, really, yeah, horrible thing to do. And, and to begin with, I tried to fudge it online and just say to people, Oh, you know, it's a relaunch in line with my book. And, um, 
there's a the full story to this is I, I'd, I've been going through a lot of hefty therapy as well, which is teaching me to try and open up a bit. And week three of the new podcast, one of my best mates texted me and said, oh, I'm looking forward to listening to this episode. And I said, actually, I'm feeling really wobbly about it, which is something I never do. I'm like a real soldier on. And she's like, oh, why are you feeling wobbly? And she said, oh, I think you haven't joined the dots enough for people on Instagram. And I was like, oh, right. So then on her nudge, I then opened up and told everybody about the reality of why, of why it had changed. And it's just like a hugely transformative moment for me, for me to A, be open with my friends and then be able to be open with Instagram about what for me felt like failures and things to be ashamed of. The reaction from people was amazing and people have then made the leap with me, but they don't, they've only made the leap with me having shown up as myself. And I think I came from a very Boise um, industry where you don't talk about the mistakes and you don't show that you make yeah things don't always work out and you don't show vulnerability and you don't show all your emotions and actually by me leaning very much into kind of more female things it's been a success because of it so yeah it's like the marrying of loads of things all my therapy beginning to pay off and yeah so now but why is it's growing it's nowhere near what it honestly was but it but it's mine and it's done my voices in there more than in honestly and um yeah I'm very proud of it I think bravo to that it's um it's something that I talk about a lot and I, I'm really believe in that process so when um because I believe that when you do it, it not only helps you connect with other women trying to move their projects forward um it also is better for you because it changes. Like I remember a friend once said to me, it's not about what happens to you in life. It's about how you tell the story to yourself. Mm. And if there's two ways of telling that story, one is um, I did a podcast and the company I worked with mugged me, right? That's the one story. And the other story is I wanted to do a podcast. I didn't really know how to do it. And a company that really knows how to do it made a deal with me and I made a deal which on the day felt really mm -hmm. great. Now, five years on, I've learned a lot and that deal doesn't feel so great for mm -hmm. me anymore and I'm going to do it differently, mm -hmm. which, and, which is true. Yeah. And you only get to learn from the second one because in the first one, when you say, um, I got mugged, that's a victim yeah. story. That uh, it doesn't move things forward. And actually that situation that you're describing, it was a bit of an oof for you because, you know, you've got so many followers, but, you know, so it was, a you know, you had to take a haircut, as they say in poker. You took a haircut on that, you know, when you, when you start, had to start the new one from scratch. But actually um, that process happens all the time in life. Like that's constantly in the world of work, it just happens over mm -hmm. and over and over. And a deal on one day, you know, is I've got an ear, this earring that I wanted and I waited and I looked for one second half for ages and ages and ages. It costs like five grand new or something. And I got one for like 1600 quid. It's an absolute bargain. I wore it. I absolutely loved it. And then in lockdown, I just got absolutely skinted and um, someone offered me the same money back for 1500 quid. And so, yeah, goodbye you know because the deal on that day I needed the yeah. deal today when I've got more money if someone says can I buy your 5,000 quid earring for 1,500 quid I'd say no that's a bad deal for me but on the day you know when I need I didn't have any 
work. We were sat at home. We need so it's just like any deal. There's there's so complex mm-hmm. what makes a good deal. And I think you made a good deal yeah. with that company on that day. You made the best deal that you could. And you've learned a lot and now you need to make a new deal. Yeah, and actually what I wanted to add to the, the part of the reason I didn't talk about it to begin with is because I don't actually hold I don't think they went into it to shaft me. I, we worked really well together. They did good things. It just, in the end, people that you like doesn't always add up to a great business decision. And it, and it, it ended up being no longer feasible from a business and financial perspective. But that doesn't... Yeah, so I think it, it doesn't always have to be so hard and fast that, yeah, I want to have a massive spat with them. I didn't want to throw them under the bus. I wanted to try and do it in a way that honoured the experience, but also enabled me to tell the truth, which I did. But again, a really crucial thing that, like the way I conduct myself on social media, everyone's like, why didn't you say about that at the time? I rarely am doing things... In real time. As they happen in real time, because I really, really need to process them myself. And... You know, the, the only times I've made things, done things on Instagram that make me cringe is when I've been hot-headed or I've done them loaded with emotion. And again, it's the difference between it being my friend and talking to you when I'm in crisis mode or being my work when I come with some learnings and some reflections. Um, yeah, and that that is, you know, and, and the thing is, as a, as a, a viewer on Instagram, I bloody love real time people's dramas. Of course, we get sucked into them when people's stuff is happening. And I could have, as we opened the door to our house, our new house, I could have brought you all with us and it would have made great viewing. But, but it's the same stuff of like, why do you always need this, this other person in your life? Like, go to it, use it, but don't have it as a member of your, yeah, another member of your family. So that's it. The other thing, just going back to don't call me an influencer, is that throwing that company under the bus would have been extremely easy for you. And you could have done it as in, because you do influence people because they like you and they feel like close to you. You could have done it in a way where you would be on reproach. You could have just dropped a couple of hints and everyone would have drawn their own conclusions very negatively about that company. So there's a responsibility that comes around mm-hmm. that about being really clear. There's a similar thing. I have had some, I've had difficult relationships with investors in my business over the years and um, they have had really disappointing outcomes for me. And I talk about that a lot. Lots of young entrepreneurs are saying, I want to get an investor, I want to get an investor and they talk about it. And I give them a really frank um um, re- like report of some of the negative um, things that have happened. And the story they want is, oh, they're so bad. They did something bad to you. Like you're a founder like me and they came along and they did something bad. And I always say that's not, you know, I was there. I made that mm-hmm. deal as well. I'm a grown up in that situation. They didn't do anything that was illegal. Yeah. You know, they behaved completely within the law, but I took a bruising um, because I, you know, I misread the situation. I cut a bad deal, and then I suffered the consequences for it. And it's kind of that relationship is co-created. And also, it's it's circling back to our same thing of like getting. And I have to stop myself doing it. If you get yourself in a victim mindset, the world is a horrible place, and everyone is against you, and things feel tough. And you know, I'm a, a re- absolute realist. The world is can be very tough, but. Blaming other people gets you nowhere. It, it just certainly ruins my day. Yeah, except for the Amazon <laughs> driver who hasn't given me my Crocs. 
I don't know, well, he's purely, but <laughs> you can hold people accountable when you're in a menopausal rage. Yeah. Then that's completely fair <laughs> enough. The um, let's talk about your book yes. because you're moving, <laughs> you're moving back into where you started, which is the realm of the family and motherhood and talking to kids. You know, you you have difficult conversations with grown-ups, and now it's about. Um, all family members. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your book. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to cut it up in my head. So it was originally aimed at talking to kids about difficult things. And it, the whole construct of it is I've taken, I think, like 36 of the most tricky, common questions from kids. You know, how do babies get in mummy's tummies? What happens when people die? Why are humans ruining the planet? Why can't boys wear dresses? Um, why do we have feelings? And actually... It's ended up being a conversation with the parents and um, the book is broken down a, a lot about how to think, how to find time to be curious about your own thoughts, how to challenge, challenge your own judgment, how to be comfortable with not knowing. Um, yeah. And how to have conversation. I think the art of conversation is, is, is really threatened and, it takes it takes maturity and it and it takes a commitment to sit with someone who has possibly different views to you and talk in a way where you actually listen where you are prepared to possibly be wrong to be prepared to change your mind or just to hear what they've got to say like it's the opposite of call out culture of shouting people down it's the opposite of quick responses on instagram it is not doing things for public consumption it's sitting and talking and saying yeah, let me learn more and let me keep learning. Because ultimately what I realized with the book is that we are preparing our kids for a world that we don't know what it looks like. Like that is the most terrifying thing about parenting. We can't prep them for this. So all we can do is give them the skills to be curious and open-minded and to keep learning. And and I guess that's what I hope to achieve out of it. So I, I set out to answer questions and I came away with more questions than answers. And that was, that's where we ended up. That sounds like a good spot to be in though. I always think, um, do you know what? I have one, the thing that I have in my back pocket, if I really get disarmed by a really tricky question, <laughs> I say, hmm, what, what made you think of that? Try that one. I think, has Clemmy frozen? She has, and I want... Do you think she's run out of charge? She has frozen, and yeah, I wonder if that means that she's I think she's, she's run out gone. of charge. I think that was that was on a high note, though. I think we finished... We did go out with a bang. ...that just talking... We did with about her super book. It sounds absolutely extraordinary. I'm going to be reading that. When she went through the questions, did you have any of the answers to them? You know where babies come from? Yeah. How babies... Yeah. My mum bought me a book on that. Okay, good. We've got that covered. <laughs> yeah. What was the... <laughs> we did it a couple of episodes ago, actually, didn't we? <laughs> what was the second one she asked? I can't remember. What happens when people die? Do you know what happens when people die? They they decay. Okay, that was <laughs> next one. <laughs> chapter 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 three. What was chapter three? Oh, why do we have feelings? Yeah. Um bit foggy on that. Yeah, that's a tough one. I'd be interested to uh, to, to know what how Clemmy answers that. I'm going to buy you a Is copy. Is it to prove that we're alive? How about that? <laughs> to whom? <laughs> to prove to whom? Ourselves. <laughs> no. Why do you think we have feelings? Um, 
to to help us fulfill um animal functions for survival so in order to bond us with our group yeah. to find a mate to reproduce to keep us safe from woolly mammoths that kind of thing yeah they say don't they that there's always a well i don't know if they say this but i say this that i think there's always an in what's the word invertebrate no what's the word for evolution <laughs> there's always an evolutionary <laughs> what's that thing you know like when people what's that thing when people you know like change thing, like, from over monkeys millions of years <laughs> what is and, it? and then we're like people and cavemen like survival of the fittest <laughs> you sound like um what's that Le- legally blonde legally buckers yeah the, um so yeah i think it's to do with um survivalism so for example why do you get why do i get angry if someone tries to take my jacket potato because otherwise I'd starve. Because you'd have to go and hunt another jacket potato. <laughs> and you'd have to go and you'd have to go and like with a flint lure, arrowhead lure another can of Heinz baked beans into your into your cave. Clemmy, oh she's back. Clemmy, I'm back. Clemmy's back. I've got no mic and no beginning to hear me. Clemmy, after you left, after you left, the conversation deteriorated and we're now talking about cave women hunting jacket potatoes with flint spearheads. Right. I mean, I'm wondering Obviously. how you join the dots between those two things. <laughs> Your book sounds amazing. You've been a lovely Thanks. guest. You really dug deep in all of that Instagram stuff. It's a bit of a minefield, so I appreciate you going into that. And um, I can't wait. I can't wait to read your book. It sounds lovely. Difficult conversations is what we're all about, Buckers, right? Yeah. Let us know if you need any help with the next one because we've clearly just demonstrated (laughs) that we are literary geniuses. I really would like to hear what it sounds like. Clemmy, all will become clear when you hear this. All become clear. Thank you so much for your time today, Clemmy. It's been an absolute gift. My pleasure. That's the end of this week's episode of The Real Work Podcast. If you want more from me before the next episode or you'd like to learn more about real work, You can find me on Instagram and YouTube where I share experience and advice for women who want to work and earn on their own terms. My Instagram handle is at dorealwork and on YouTube it's realwork, all capitals, all one word. Please rate and review this podcast if you know how (laughs) and tell people about it. It all helps. Thank you for being here. See you next time. Oh, well, that was a good one. I really feel like um, I feel like I'm really finding my stride with this podcast. I've had such good feedback. It's been amazing. And people have been leaving such terrific reviews on iTunes. Did I tell you it got to number 14 in the chart? It, yeah. Lady Entrepreneurs yeah, Club, number 14. So I can't believe good. it. Like one week in. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm really, it's it's so much to do with, you know, your support that we did there. How, you're doing one, aren't you? A comedy one. How How's that going? Your, com- your comedy one. Who are you doing it with? Oh, yeah. Um. I'm doing comedy podcasts with an old friend of mine from back in the radio days. And we actually, we, our launch day coincided with the Real Work podcast launch day. So we launched at the same time. Oh, that's good. Yeah. How's it going? Do people like it? Yeah, we're getting really good, really good feedback. And we actually got to, um, we got to number one in the stand up comedy podcast charts. 
in UK. Which oh. we weren't really weren't expecting, but you know, we're we are number one super super pleased with in it. In the first yeah. week. Yeah. But number 14 still amazing, Fleur. Re- like really amazing. It is, it is. We're 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 very I'm very pleased for you. Thank you. Um do you think it will be okay for me to play my uh, my advert now? Of course. Yeah, just pop it on. If you want to make a podcast that your audience will adore, but the thought of making it yourself terrifies you to the core, then you know who to call. Producer Barkers. She knows just what to do, producer Buckers, to make your podcast dreams come true. She used to work in radio where she was Molly Padio, a dab hand at audio. Find producer Buckers on Instagram at decibel underscore creative or click the link in the show notes. Come on, everyone, producer, producer Buckers, if you want to hire the best, producer Buckers, just put it to the test, producer Buckers, just press record. And she does the rest. Producer Parker.